about eight weeks now and learning about Jesus and what it means for us to uh, follow like uh, and the ministry that he had. And so we are going to do that further today. And before we jump into it, I, I just ran across a story online and this, this gentleman named Gassama, who was from Mali, happened to be in Paris. He was there for a sporting event and as he was making his way to the game he was going to watch, he heard a commotion as he was crossing by one of the buildings and shouts for help and cries for help. And as he looked up, he saw a a four-year-old hanging from the balcony of the fourth floor of this building, and this is what he did. How many could do that? I certainly could, and I'd get maybe to the first balcony level and go, whew, I need an energy drink or something, right? This guy just sprung into action to help one, risking his own life, going through a great physical challenge to rescue one. And when he grabbed that toddler and went into the, uh, the, the floor of that balcony, he collapsed. Just out of stress and anxiety, he collapsed. He was later interviewed, uh, became quite a, a hero of the area. In fact, they called him the Spider-Man of the 18th. The 18th was the precinct he happened to be in, in Paris. And he was interviewed, and he said, I saw these people shouting and cars sounding their horns, and I climbed up like that. And thank God, I saved the child. Well, this morning we're going to talk about what Jesus was willing to go through for the sake of one. As we look at the story and pick up from Mark 4 and into Mark 5, we see that Jesus was willing to go through high water and hell. I know I got those out of order, but to go through high water and hell in order to save one. For the one that needed to be saved that day. And the question we want to start with today is what are you willing to do? for the one who needs to find salvation in Christ. So we go to Mark chapter 5, and if you have a Bible, uh, you might want to go there. If you have your smart device, you know, of course, the Bible app is there for you to use on your device, and you can follow us there. I also push the notes through our Neighborhood Church app. If you haven't got that yet, there's instructions in the bulletin of how to download that app uh, to your smart device. Um, But in Mark 5, we see the story of Jesus delivering this demon-possessed man. And I look at Mark's account of this story, and I'm going, wow, why would he give so much time to this story? See, the other gospel writers also write about this event, but Matthew gives it like six verses, and he covers the story in six verses. We have Luke, who covers it in a few more. He doubles it. He goes to 13, but here's Mark, 20 verses sharing this story, and he goes into great detail, especially about the evil that had confronted this man and had had infiltrated his life. And you go, wow, why would he spend so much time on this story? Well, partly because we also just saw Jesus do some pretty incredible things on the sea, right? If you were here last week, you saw in the close of Mark chapter 4 that Jesus was going across across the lake to the other side. Now we know why. There was a guy there who needed to be set free. But on the way across, what happened? Big storm came upon the sea that threatened the lives of even the seasoned fishermen who were there. They thought they were all going to die. And Jesus spoke a word, well, three words, peace, be still. And the waters calmed immediately. And it proved his authority over nature. But now he's going to prove his authority over evil. And why is that important for us to learn today? Well, for the same reason, it was important for the audience to which Mark was writing. Now, remember, Mark was not a uh, first-hand disciple of Jesus. He was a young man during the time Jesus was uh, ministering. Um, But Peter, who was with Jesus always, uh, was a kind of a rabbi or a teacher for Mark. Mark was like a disciple of 
Peter. So when Mark shared stories, he was sharing from Peter's eyewitness accounts. And he was writing to Christians in Rome at the time of the worst persecution of Rome under the evil emperor, not Zerg, I know that's what you're thinking, but under the evil emperor Nero, who at that point was the emperor over the entire Roman Empire, and he was wicked. I mean, he did incredibly odd and strange things all for the sake of persecuting Christians. And so if you were a Christian in Rome, you came face to face with evil as you saw your Christian friend on fire, not for Jesus literally, I mean literally on fire, in the gardens of Nero. They would dip them in, in oil or in pitch and light them on fire to burn, to light his gardens. Talk about a man who was evil. This was Nero. So they came face to face with evil all the time. And that's why I think they took a good amount of time here to show Jesus has authority over evil. But let's look at the story again. I know we heard it in the video, but I want to look at it very quickly. Mark chapter 1 or 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So as soon as they get over this terrible storm on the, on the sea and they think, whew, finally, smooth sailing, right? They land on shore and they are confronted immediately with an untamed wild man full of demons. And he makes a beeline for Jesus. And it talks a little bit about this man. First of all, it says that he lived in the tombs. He lived where death and defilement was always around him. Very fitting for what he was dealing with in his own wickedness and evil that was within him. It also says that he had been... Attempts were made to bind him with chains. See, in the first century, there wasn't like um, institutions that you put people who were demonstrating unhuman characteristics. Um, they instead would chain them so they wouldn't harm themselves or others. And this man became so evil and so uh, overpowered by evil that he began to have superhuman strength that would even break the chains that were bound around him. And eventually he was driven, it says, out by, by the demons out into the tombs to live. And so this was once a man in his right mind, probably had a family, probably made a living in one of the cities around the area, and now he was driven out of his mind, living in the tombs. Nobody could subdue him because of these demons that were at work in him. And we learn some things about evil by looking at this story. I want to give them to you quickly. The first thing is this that you cannot restrain evil by some external force. I know this probably sounds obvious, right? But how many times do we continue to try to subdue evil with an external means? Some of you know what that's like when you have a child. And you keep correcting behavior and you keep correcting behavior, but until they have a heart and a will change, from the inside, right? You're going to keep dealing with the behavior. We've also seen this when we've had external restraints put upon our children in home, and then once they get to college life and they leave the house, all of a sudden all restraints are off, and what they really had within them is what they begin to carry out because they may have had restraints from without, but they did not have those characteristics within this man had evil within him, and no matter how much you tried to bind him to stop the wickedness, it could not be 
restrained. I'm glad we have laws, friend, in our communities, and I'm glad we have those that enforce the law, but how many know that external restraint does not correct evil? This is a hard issue. And it says, night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. We still see cutting being a real issue today. When people are trying to release the pain and agony they feel within by cutting and bleeding and feeling that that somehow lets out the anguish and the pain that they feel, the demons were making this man so tormented that he would cut himself with sharp stones as a, as a hope maybe for some sense of relief or maybe for him some sense that he was still human because he'd become so overwhelmed by evil that it began to destroy him. And friends, that's something else about evil you've got to understand. Evil is destructive. Sin is self-destructive. There is no such thing as constructive evil. There's no such thing as constructive sin. And the reason this is important for us to understand is we may not be like this wild, untamed, demon-possessed man coming in out, of the, out of the tombs, but I'll tell you this. A lot of us have played around with evil. We've been tempted with evil. Maybe that evil was a mouse click away. Maybe that evil was a substance away. And you began to dabble in some, there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing bad about this. Maybe that evil was in a relationship that you went in a direction that you know that God wasn't pleased with in your relationship. It's like, oh, that wasn't that bad. But there's a subtleness to evil, isn't there? I don't think this man had 2,000 demons put upon him in one event. I think there was a series of events in this man's life where he played with evil. But here's the, friend, here's the thing, friends. Evil always destroys. And some of you know that firsthand because you dabbled in it, and next thing you know, you were overcome by it, and that evil destroyed you, destroyed relationships around you. Evil is always destructive. And it says that, as we go on in Mark 5, verse 6, it says that when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Some Bible translations say in, in verse 6 that he worshipped Jesus. Now, that's kind of a strange word to use, Right? What really is happening here is when Jesus approached, the evil within that man recognized there was a greater authority present, and he threw himself down before the greater authority. And it wasn't because he felt a rousing song of how great thou art coming from his lips to worship Jesus. It was just when you're in the presence of authority over evil, that's what happens. So he throws himself down in front of Jesus and begins to plead with him. It's interesting, this man had never met Jesus as far as we know, but he greets him by name. Jesus, son of the most high God. Why? Because the evil within him knew who this was. And the evil within him was very resistant to the good news of Christ. And I don't have it on the slides, but here's another truth about evil. It is always resistant to the good news of Christ. Don't be ashamed or, or afraid that when you're praying for your loved one who seems like they're resisting, friends, resistance is often our first re reaction to the presence of God. It's like, no way. There's, there's resistance, and that's what this man is expressing, is a sense of resistance. And he, he almost actually 
begins to mock Jesus. And he calls him by name because there was a, a superstition back in the day that if I knew the name of my opponent, I could use it against him as a, as a ploy to control him. So there was this sense spiritually that if I knew the name of that demon, I could call it out and, and subdue him. So that's what the demon is doing to Jesus, trying to use his name to put him under control, but he doesn't know who he's met. <laughs> this is Jesus, the, the Lord over all things. And what's interesting is this demon within him demonstrated a sort of faith. He was theologically correct. Jesus, son of the most high God, he was theologically, he, he had a, like a form of faith, but it wasn't a saving faith. And that's why it's so important, friends, it's not enough just to know about Jesus, right? It's not enough to know about Jesus. You have got to be willing to submit yourself to him, to follow him. But the demons mocked him. What do you want with me? In fact, I like the way that the um, message translation says it this way. What business do you have, Jesus, son of God, messing with me? The, the English standard says it this way. What have you to do with me? In other words, we're like oil and water. Don't mess with me. What have you to do with me? And here's the thing. Evil is always against God. It always is. It's always against the purpose of God. It has always been that way. You open up the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to see evil at work against the plan of God. It is always trying to stop what God is doing. But evil doesn't stand a chance. We'll come back to that in a moment. In Mark 5, verse 9, it goes on. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? He wasn't asking the demon his name so he could overcome him. He wanted to ask the demon's name to show his disciples the challenge that was before them. Because the man answered, my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Now, I've been in close proximity to somebody who was possessed by an evil spirit. And friends, it sends chills up your spine because it is horrific to behold. Could you imagine this man, a legion of demons, what it must have looked like and sounded like when this man spoke? This is why Peter so specifically remembers everything about this event. Because when you see something traumatic, you remember it. And when he was sharing with Mark, he shared specific details that often aren't shared in stories like these. Because he's like, man, I was there. I saw the wickedness and evil in this man. It was horrific. And it was etched in Peter's memory who this man was. What have you to do with me? Demon named Legion. Does that torment Jesus? Does that, does that make Jesus afraid when he heard the man's name? You know, Legion's a number that means 6,000. The Roman soldiers, if they were in a legion, that was 6,000 men. It's almost like this guy, 6,000 soldiers within him, right? That's the strength this man showed. In fact, he, he tended to show what we would call a superhuman strength. But let's not glamorize that, friends, because this man was far from human. The demons had so overcome him that he had become a wild animal. In fact, that's something else about evil. We have to understand that it diminishes the value of humanity. And don't we see that today? Don't we see a devaluing of the image of God in humanity? It's terrible the things we do under the name of freedom, convenience, that lowers the value of human life. And we make, I don't know, spotted owls, bald eagles, convenience, more valued than human life. This is what evil does when evil runs its course. 
But as Mark states, the demons begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. In fact, Luke's account says the demons begged not to be sent to the abyss, which is the final story for all demons. And the question is, why not? <laughs> Jesus, why not vanquish all of these demons to hell? Well, a time's coming, friends, when he's going to. It's called the death and resurrection of Christ. Colossians picks it up, 2.15. This is after his death and resurrection. Paul writes, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, that speaks to the demons, he made them a public spectacle, triumphing over them by the cross. So through his death and resurrection, he overcame the power finally of hell, death, and the grave. And there will come a day in Revelation we see when they will be eternally judged and vanquished into the sea of fire. It's called the lake of fire in Revelation for their final Judgment. So the question I wrestle with often is, well, then why does God allow evil now? Why doesn't he just vanquish evil now? I mean, isn't that the greatest argument against the Christian faith? I mean, if God exists, why evil? Come on, God, if you were really sovereign, why do you let bad things happen? I can't answer everybody's specific question of why God would allow certain things to happen, but here's what I know. Evil is allowed, and when evil reigns, bad things happen. And here's what evil does. Evil actually shows us our need of a Savior. If you didn't have evil, why would you need a Savior, right? But evil actually shows us our need outside of ourself for a Savior. I can't fix myself. I can't save myself. Evil does not allow that for me, but there is one who does. Save me from evil. And that's what evil shows us. But it goes on in verse 11. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go unto them, and he gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Interesting end of a story here, right? It would appear as though demons demand to have a host, and so when they knew they were in the presence of Jesus who cared about this one man and wanted to see the one man set free, they begged him and asked permission. This shows again who has the ultimate authority. You don't ask permission from somebody you feel like you have authority over. This is the Lord of all creation, including the Lord of these pigs. And so he asks them, or they ask him, can we be there? Now some of you are going, okay, Kelly, time out. Doesn't God care about the piggies? I mean, what about little babe here, Wilbur, Porky? I mean, come on. Doesn't he care about the pigs? Why not spiders? You know, 2,000 spiders in the, in the sea? Who cares? What, what about snakes? Hey, let's get rid of those. How about 2,000 snakes? And they're, and they're gone. But pigs? Well, let me just kind of help you understand a couple. One, pigs were considered an unclean animal to the Jewish people. They wouldn't eat pig. And so it was a sign and symbol of the unclean man being delivered into the unclean animals. So the spirits took up residence in the pigs. It also tells me that, that, that uh, secondarily, some things you have to know about the pigs is that these pigs were already destined for slaughter anyway. Uh, they don't raise them just to go do 4-H awards, okay? Um, these pigs in the Gentile culture were not only used for eating, they were used as sacrifices offered to their pagan gods. They would sacrifice pigs and offer them to their pagan gods. So before we have a bleeding heart for these poor little piggies, let's remember 
what was happening culturally. But could you imagine? 2,000 pigs. That shows us kind of the size of this legion of demons that overcame these pigs. And guess what happened immediately? The pigs stampeded directly for what? Their death. Which shows us something else about evil. That evil leads to death. It always leads to death. So when we toy with evil, the wages of sin is what? It is death. The Bible says that again and again and again. But let's be careful not to just feel bad about these poor piggies because there is a story here to be shared. And that is that evil does not have authority over Christ the Lord. He is the ultimate authority. Well, it goes on in verse 14. Then those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and countryside. Could you imagine? These, these guys that were tending the pigs weren't the owners. They were pig herders. Could you imagine going back to the actual owners? I mean, we're talking 2,000 pigs. Back to the original owners and saying, okay, so you might want to sit down for this. We're minding our own business, watching little piggies here. And this guy comes in a boat and lands on the shore. And the demon guy, remember him? The whacked out demon guy that is weird and screams and is insane. Well, he and Jesus have a conversation. Next thing I know, the pigs are stampeding and they drown themselves in the lake. I mean, imagine trying to explain that to your boss. Demons took over the computer. I don't know. It just destroyed all the computers in our lab today. So they came and checked it out. It says that they came and went to see what happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, which means he was naked. The video couldn't show that. It would be rated R. Dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. End of the story is what the people care more about, the demon-possessed man's salvation or the pigs? The pigs. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Sad story. It's like, hey, Jesus, you know, your grace is not good for our economy. And I know there's a whole message there that could be preached about how the Christian message needs to be gagged so our economy can thrive. Isn't that just terrible? Grace is not good for our economy. you got to leave. We're not interested in what you have to offer because you hurt pigs. You hurt us financially. But here comes, here's a man who had been tormented perhaps for years, who's been set free, and they don't care. They can't see that for all the pigs. If I was them, I would have thrown a big luau, right? I mean, we're going to do with 2,000 pigs. We're going to have me some good ribs, some pulled pork. That's what we're going to do, right? Friday night, come to the Hawaiian barbecue. That's right. But please leave. But here's the thing about this message we have to see. And this is kind of the big take-home for all of you. That Jesus' power and grace to save is available for the one you fear is too far gone. You all might know somebody, you think, oh, Kelly, you don't know. They are so far gone. I don't think they could actually be saved. I mean, this would be the story of that man. 2,000 demons 
His behavior, the things that he might have done before he was chained, how he may have hurt people, the things he may have said to people, the devastation he may have caused before he was driven out by the demons into the tombs. People would have said, that guy, if there was a yearbook, he was the least likely to be saved. Yet listen, friends, Jesus cares about the one. And his grace, his saving power is still available for the one that you fear is too far gone. Because when you feel that someone is too far gone, remember this, Jesus' power and his authority and his grace is limitless. When we begin to believe somebody is too far gone, do you know what we are doing? We are limiting the grace and the mercy and the love of God. We never want to experience limited grace, do we? No, no, no. We love full-on grace. Why would we dare do that for somebody else? To believe they're too far gone. That they could be saved. It goes on, verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, which is the, that means 10 cities, a region of 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. I want, to, I want you to notice something here. Two times in this passage, I pay attention to things that are doubled up. Two times in this passage, it said an interesting phrase. It said, the man who had been possessed by demons. Why not say the man who was set free? The man who was saved? Why, why the man who has been? Let me tell you why. Because we all have a has been in our story, don't we? And sometimes we live with a certain amount of shame about our past. Oh, I can't talk about that before Jesus. You don't want to know my has-been story. Friends, if you got a has-been story like this one, and you share that, that is a powerful story. See, your has-been doesn't define you now, right? But it's your story. And some people need to be the ones who hear and know your has-been story. Because this man who had been, he was now set free. And Jesus said to him, look, you got a has-been story. You've got to share. I mean, imagine. He comes to Jesus and wants to follow him, right? He's like, take me. I mean, Peter, if I was Peter, I'd be saying, hey, Jesus, this is a, this is a, pretty, big, this is a pretty big deal. I mean, think of the story this guy can share. I mean, 2,000 demons, and you set him free. I mean, that's pretty powerful. I was just a fisherman when I followed you. I wasn't 2,000 demons strong. I mean, this guy's got a story. We should bring him along for the gig. And Jesus says, no, I want you to go home, back to your own people. Why? Well, I think a couple of reasons. One, this man had been separated from his family and his community because of his problem. They could go back and be restored and share his story in his context to his family, to his people who knew him as the man who had been possessed by demons, and now they see him as the man who had been Saved by Jesus. Go tell your story. And friends, you know what? It happens. 
And he shared the story about his freedom. And listen, here's the good news. Freedom can also come to you when Jesus lands on the shores of your life. And maybe you're here and you feel like the man who's untamed inwardly. And you're living according to your own passions. And you're letting evil reign in your life. And you're keeping it covered under a restraint of acting good. But listen, freedom is what you need. And it can come to your life. I think it's interesting This man, I believe, was the one reason Jesus crossed that sea. To reach that one. I mean, think about it. The crowd asked Jesus to leave. If you looked at this as an evangelistic outreach, you would say, Jesus, I think that was a failure. You had the whole Decapolis to go into, and because of this one thing, they're asking you to leave. They don't want you. We'd look at that and go, that's a failure. There could have been thousands reached, but what a failure. That's not how Jesus sees it, though. Remember, here's some things you got to remember about Jesus. The truth is, he's always interested in the one. He's interested in the one. Listen, there is no such thing as crowd salvation, right? We come to Jesus one person at a time. And he was interested in the one. He crossed hell and high water for the one. That this one could find Jesus and find the hope that is in his name. And then he commissioned him. He said, I want you to go back now and tell your has-been story. Why? Because Jesus' grace for the one, this man, it needs to be proclaimed freely for the next one to be saved. God wants to use your has-been story for the one who needs to be saved. So are you praying about that? Are you letting God use you in that way? I pray to God that you are. Because Jesus' power and his grace, listen, here's the big idea. To save, it is still available for the one that you fear is too far gone. So who is the one that needs to experience the saving power of Christ today in your life? We're going to pray for them right now. Because we're not going to give up on them. Jesus didn't. When the storms raged and it looked like it was at heart, it's like, okay, guys, maybe we're going to turn back. Maybe it's safer back on that shore, but it was, no, 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 we're pressing through. We're going to calm a storm to get to that guy. And he did for the one. So let's pray. Father, right now in this room, we all can think of the one. Maybe they're in our family. Maybe they're a friend of ours, somebody in our neighborhood. And we honestly have written them off. But Lord, I pray this message would stir our hearts because we see a man who was least likely to be saved. The power of hell was at work in this man's life to destroy him. And God, that same power of evil is at work in the lives of those that we care about to destroy them. And we should be people who care, who spring into action, who are willing to do whatever it takes for the one. And maybe that means to share our has-been story or to keep praying like never before. Because, God, we understand that it's your grace that's at work. And what we don't see is what you're already doing on behalf of that person as we call out to them by name, the work you're already starting over their life. And we know they're going to resist you at first. We all did. That's natural to push against. But, God, we pray for them that you would just press through and that we'd have the opportunity personally 
to lead them to you. You know, Jesus, I think about this story. You could have just waved a wand and saved the guy on the other side of the lake, but that's not how you operated. You got in that boat. You went to the other side of the lake, and you ministered in person to that man that he would be set free because you still use people today to carry the message of good news to those who need to hear it but seem the least likely to embrace it. Use us, I pray, for that purpose. Maybe you're here today, and maybe it's a different story for you. Maybe you're playing around with evil. You may not be the untamed demoniac in the garden, but you know you're messing around with sin. Let me just tell you, it's going to destroy you. That's what sin does. There's no way. It looks appealing. It feels good, but it destroys. And you know that. You've seen the consequences of sin and how it destroys people. But yet you think you're different. That You can somehow do this and get away with it. Stop. Listen to me today. God wants all of you completely submitted to him. And if you're here and that's something you got to do, then I pray right now you would just pray with me. Lord, I totally and completely commit myself to you. Forgive me for the ways that I've played with evil, that I've dabbled in sin thinking that I won't get stuck. When I've played around with sin thinking it's, I'm different, I'm going to not become a problem. God, I pray that's a dangerous place to be right now. But I pray they'd see the danger now. Because so much of this is preventative. If we could just see it ahead of time. So we see it and we know this path always leads to destruction. So we repent of that and follow you today. Forgive us. Wash us clean and let our hearts be fully devoted to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.